0: Hello, family. How are you doing on this wonderful Sunday night? I'm so excited. And once again, I've been waiting for you all week to deliver this word. Now, let me go ahead and just tell you this disclaimer. Ladies, you may give me a lot of amens on tonight, but I need you to be prepared for Thursday. Because tonight I'm talking to the brothers, but I think everybody could tune in on this conversation. I think it's going to be powerful. I think it's going to be spiritually nutritious. We are continuing our brand new series, World War Me. Last week we were asking, has anybody been drafted in that war? Even if you didn't want to, you didn't ask for it, you just got signed up for World War Me. We are continuing the series for part two. And I'm so thankful for everybody who's tagging us with your Bible studies, taking your notes. One lady had like three pages of notes saying, I just kept on pause, play, pause, play. (laughs) So uh, I'm just so grateful. Go ahead and tag us. Um, Take a screenshot. Let us know where you are in the world. And I want to get to work because I have the word for you on tonight. So our foundational text, we're going to go to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to read a few verses. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to launch our reading at verse 5. It says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, it happened as they were coming home. When David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet, look at this, King Saul. They came to meet King Saul with tambourines and with joy, with the musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000. Somebody say, uh-oh. Then Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and they have ascribed to me only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward, our verse of emphasis, our clause of concern, and where we're going to launch part 2 of this World War Me series takes residence and lives in verse 8, then Saul was very angry. Not low key, but high key. Then Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed to David Ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? God, you're awesome. We thank you for this time of coming together and dissecting and feasting on your word. And we have anticipation, oh God, that you're going to flood the atmosphere, even through the retina display, even through the iPads, the tablets, and just watching online. I pray that you anoint this message. Anoint me as your oracle, and my typical request, allow me to be your PA system of heaven. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Amen. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. For they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me only Thousands, Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see in this biblical narrative in our foundational text is that Saul is so caught up. Saul is so caught up with the greater accolades. He's so caught up with David's popularity that his insecurity has him blindfolded to the bigger picture. His insecurity has him blindfolded to the bigger picture. And what is that bigger picture? You won, bruh. You won. You just slaughtered the Philistines. You no longer have to deal with Goliath. You no longer have this giant coming out and taunting the armies of the living God because David handled Joe heavyweight. You have nothing else to worry about. And Saul can't rejoice because of his insecurity. Insecurity, 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 insecurity. Now, I do hope you know that insecurity has an evil first cousin. Insecurity has an evil first cousin who goes by the name of jealousy. Most of the time when insecurities in the room, jealousies in the back seats, jealousies in the passenger seat. If insecurities in first class, you best believe that jealousy's in coach. <laughs> They're right behind each other. And so Saul, he really can't rejoice with the whole nation. He can't celebrate with the whole nation. He can't turn up with the whole nation. He can't give God glory with the whole nation. And he can't even worship with the whole nation because he's so insecure because he's caught up on David's number. He's so caught up that he has more follows. I'm going there. He's so caught up that he has more likes. They have more views on their video. They have more views on their message. They have more views on their songs. He's more caught up that he has more likes on his page, that more people tag him on his page, more people mention him on his page. He's so caught up with what David has and David's number that he can't see the bigger picture. And that bigger picture is that day one. Saul is infected what I like to call the Judas complex. Yeah, he's infected with what I like to call the Judas complex. If you don't know what the Judas complex is, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to show it to you right here in John. John chapter 12, verse 3, look at this. It says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, look at this, Judas... Iscariot son of Simon who would betray him said why (laughs) why was this fragrance of oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor look at this this he said not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. See, people who have the Judas complex, they can't stand to hear that you got ten thousands, but they got thousands. People with the Judas complex, they can't stand to see you rocking your coat of many colors. People with the Judas complex, they can't stand to see you get blessed. They can't stand to see you living in the overflow. They can't stand to see you on that flyer. They can't stand when you get the promotion. They can't stand when you get the raise. They can't stand when you get engaged. And don't let you get engaged to a kingdom man and you just got saved in March. Uh, (laughs) I'm about to get in trouble. Y'all not going to like me for about 60 seconds. Because there's a woman like, listen, Lord, I've been seeking your face for the last three years. I've been serving you for the last four years. How you going to bless her with a kingdom man And she got saved three weeks ago? Here I am seeking your face, in your words. She is fresh off a stripper's pole. And you're going to give her what I've been praying for? Listen, listen. People who are infected with the religious spirit, they can't understand why you keep getting blessed. Especially when they feel as though you shouldn't qualify for this blessing. I guess they forget that it's not by works. It's not by works that any man should boast. It's not by works. That any man should boast people with the Judas complex, they can't stand to see you get promoted, they can't stand to see you go to the next level. And I wonder, here's the question, what is your posture when people get blessed before you? Yeah, we're going all the way here. What, what, What is your posture when somebody gets blessed before you? And are you really on the narrow road Because you're living a life dedicated to Jesus? Or are you on the narrow road because of what you want to get? Judas complex. Judas complex. And you can have this perspective. You can either get jealous, you can be insecure, or you can change your perspective. Maybe it's not that they got their package first. Maybe I should celebrate because this means the delivery man is on my street. I don't know who that's for. Change your perspective. Maybe stop looking at the fact that they got their package first, but celebrate over the fact that the delivery man is on my street. But before you get too happy and before you drop the running man emoji in the chat, I want you to understand you should not be expecting anything if you're not striving to live by kingdom principles. See, because everybody talks about the person of Jesus, but we don't talk about the principles of Jesus. The person of Jesus makes sure that we're saved, but the principles of Jesus helps us to have an abundant life here on earth. And I just felt it was necessary because if we look at Saul, Saul was so insecure that he was blindfolded from the reality that he won. And I just feel it's necessary for part Two of this World War Me series, I think we need to have this conversation because it's not necessarily something that we hear talked about much, but I'm not called to live inside of a line. Matter of fact, every time there's a line that people say don't cross it, I always want to know who drew it. <laughs> we don't have to follow the lines. yet. tonight we're going to talk around this thought from this subject, Mr. Insecure. Mr. Mr. Insecure. Secure and really, church, my prayer and my desire is that this particular message will, will add some balance. I'm praying that this message will add some balance because I do understand that in the Christian culture, there seems to be this trend, rather intentionally or unintentionally, there seems to be this trend that directs healing, directs standards, directs relational wisdom and directs for you to be whole mainly to women. But I'm standing right here before you on tonight to let you know there are some brothers who need healing. There's some brothers who need some standards. There's some brothers who need some relational wisdom. And you best believe there's some brothers who need wholeness. And if we're so caught up with her being whole, if we're so caught up with her having standards, if we're so caught up with her healing, she's going to be healed for a wounded man. We got to talk. Listen, I want you to consider the creation narrative, the creation narrative. When God put Adam to sleep and he opened up his side, took out a rib and closed it back. Usually we put so much emphasis on the fact that God took out a rib. And we have so many messages about, you know, marriage and him being the husband. But there's a very important part of the surgical operation that we tend to overlook. I don't want you to just focus on the part that God took the rib. I want you to focus on the part that God closed his side back. Because if God would have left it open, y'all don't want to talk. If God would have left it open, it would have been a wound there. And that wound possibly could have been infected. Please hear me. There are some wounds in a man only God could fix. There's some wounds due to childhood that only God can fix. There's some wounds due to the molestation that he's not talking about that only God can fix. There's some wounds that happened in college that he does not talk to you about that only God can fix. And we have to address this wound because you're so caught up with how fine he is. You're so caught up that he's so gorgeous. You're so caught up with his bank account. You're so caught up with how he makes you laugh. You're so caught up with his fade. You're so caught up with his eyes. You're so caught up with how good y'all baby's gonna look. But you're not looking at the fact that God has not closed some stuff. And if God does not close the wounds in a man, you will never be able to be his wife. You will only be his nurse. (laughs) You'll only be able to be his nurse constantly bleeding on you because there's an area in my life that I need God to close. There's an area in my life that I need God to fix. And there's nothing more dangerous. Please hear me on tonight. There is nothing more dangerous than a tired and a confused man. Listen, it is a threat to the family structure. A threat to the foundation of our communities and our homes when this man is tired and or confused. See, when a man says, bro, I'm tired, that's a dangerous place for a man to be in. For a man to be tired. Now don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not talking about him being tired because he's lazy and he was playing NBA 2K or Madden all night or Call of Duty. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about him saying he's tired because he doesn't want to make the transition from boyhood to manhood. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about he's saying he's tired because you're causing for him to step up to a level of maturity that he doesn't want to step up to. I'm talking about when he is tired in his soul weary and exhausted in his heart that is a dangerous place for a man to be in because the way God wired women you were made to be a helper and a nurturer and you're probably not going to hear any other man say this and definitely probably not going to hear them say it from a pulpit but women y'all stronger than us (laughs) I said it and I don't feel like my man card is threatened at all you're stronger than us For you to know that one of your assignments is to help somebody, you got to be strong to help people. To recognize that you have been cosmically created to help. See, you got to understand, you have a baby sitting on your sciatic nerve for months. I'm talking about your ankles swelling up, but you still have joy. There have been women that have no support of a man that had raised all three children of her own. All three children went off to college. A man can't do that. There's a strength that you have. God has wired for you to be a nurturer and a helper. And God has wired for the man to be a leader and a fixer. And if this man does not have the Sabbath principle at work in his life, and if this man does not have a safe house to vent, emphasis on safe, if he does not have a safe house to vent and somebody who can hold him accountable, his head will always end up in Delilah's lap. Preach, Holy Spirit. I'm trying to help somebody on the night. His head will end up in Delilah's lap. There's so much conversation about the spirit of Jezebel. I want to awake your awareness to the spirit of Delilah. It is not always a woman. The spirit of Delilah is when there is a spiritual attack on the area of your strength. The area where you're strong. Women, this applies to you too. Wherever you're extremely strong, that's where the spirit of Delilah wants to attack If you're real strong with your preaching ability, if you're real strong with business, if you're real strong with counseling, if you're real strong with worship, if you're real strong with praise, if you're real strong with music, wherever the area of your strength is, that's where that spirit of Delilah seems to traffic. And I just begin to wonder, how is it such a strong man, such a strong man kept on laying his head in Delilah's lap? And if you read the story of Samson and Delilah, it's revealed in the story. The number one thing Delilah kept on saying was, Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. Samson, if you love me. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. Why does she have to keep on saying wake up? It's because he was asleep. <laughs> he kept Laying his head in her lap. And I'm like, for the life of me, why do you keep laying your head in the place that keeps you in war? You keep laying your head in a place that keeps you in war. Don't you see, brother, every single time you go to sleep, she keeps saying, wake up, the Philistines are upon you. This is a woman who keeps you engaged in warfare. This is a woman, every time she texts you, your lust begins to go in warfare. Every single time she comes around you, your anger seems to go in warfare. I'm talking about somebody who activates your sinful nature. How did he keep ending up? In this place, it's because when you're tired, you do not use logic. When you're tired, you do not use logic. Prolonged tiredness. Prolonged tiredness is one of the tactics of the enemy. If I can't take them out, oh, I'm going to wear them out. Because hell knows it's dangerous for the leader. For the head to continuously be tired, because you cannot be spiritually aware and tired nonstop. You cannot be continuously mentally exhausted and spiritually alert at the same time. Because when you are tired, when a man is tired, he will confuse beds, but they're really bondage. That's not a bed, that's really bondage. When a man is tired, he will confuse bondage with beds. That that weed that you keep smoking, bro, that's that's not a bed. That's not going to give you comfort. It's bondage. That woman that you keep going to every night, that's not going to give you comfort. It's going to give you bondage. That Budweiser, that Heineken, that vodka, that beer that you keep on drinking, trying to escape your reality, that's really not a bed. That's bondage. The porn room that you keep going in because you just need a break because you do know pornography seems to be the safe Christian sin, right? (laughs) Not going to get STDs, not going to get nobody pregnant, but you're going to pollute your mind. It's not a bed, it's bondage. When a man is tired, he doesn't use logic. And so this is the danger about this, especially for men, because if you're called to be a fixer, a man is going to try to fix the problem in his soul. And so what we end up doing is we try to fix the problem with third-party third offers instead of the original manufacturer. Because I'm made to be a fixer. So when something's wrong, I'll try to fix it. But the problem is we'll try to fix it with third-party offers instead of going to my manufacturer. Insecurity. See, you know what reason why a lot of men are tired? Because we keep lying. <laughs> you know why we're tired? We keep lying. And I'm not talking about lying about where you've been and why you took so long. Where were you? Where were you? Why you smell like perfume? Uh-uh. I'm not talking about that. That's a whole another sermon. <laughs> Somebody say a whole one. That's a whole other sermon. I'm talking about um, when you keep lying by saying this. I'm cool. I'm straight. <laughs> I ain't even tripping over that. Man, I'm good. You're lying over the fact That you're hurt. See, when when a woman is hurt, for the most part, now there's other selective cases, but when a woman is hurt, she gonna cry, she might scream, she might yell, she might even break a dish. She's going to tell her girlfriend about it. She'll be the first one to book a a marital counseling session. She'll be the first one to get counseling. She'll get therapy. She might even post about it. She'll have it in her ING story about how pissed off she is. She might even write it down and cause that pain to be a New York bestseller. (laughs) <laughs> she will write it down. You know why? Because God has manufactured for the woman to push. God has manufactured for the woman to push things out. You have been wired to give birth. Nothing can sit on the inside of you for too long. Eventually, it's going to come out. There may be something that happens, and for a season of her life, her life is adjusting to what has happened. Her life is adjusting due to what she's carrying. But after a while, God has wired for you to push that out. That's how God has wired women, but he hasn't wired men. like that has not wired men like that we lie I'm cool I'm straight I'm good and so what happens is we have a lot of men who are silently struggling with depression struggling with suicidal thoughts because anytime we repress it causes for us to get depressed which creates an atmosphere for the enemy to let us be oppressed did y'all hear what i just said anytime we repress it will always cause us to get depressed which creates an atmosphere that's conducive for the enemy to cause us to be oppressed because you're not talking you're not talking you're not letting it out and you know what's crazy people will actually begin to treat you out of the lie you live (laughs) <laughs> so you'll be wondering man nobody call me don't nobody check on me during this whole pandemic and nobody reach out and check on me and nobody call me you know why because a lot of people believe the lie that you keep presenting they believe you cool they believe you straight. Oh, no, nah, that don't bother J.J. Strong. Nah, that don't, that don't bother him. He good. Nah, he, he, he not offended. And so now the people who God has sent in your life to serve you are underserving you because you keep on presenting yourself to be so strong with this, some false sense of macho masculinity. And you know that you need healing. You know that you need somebody to serve you. But you keep acting so hard. But here's the thing, brothers. Acting hard is hard. Acting hard. It's hard. You got to talk. You are talking, but you keep lying. And the people are starting to treat you off the lie that you keep presenting. And then you wonder why there's something wrong in your soul. It's because no one can serve you right because you're telling people that you don't have a headache, but you're having headaches every night. So now I can't give you the right prescription because you're not telling me your true symptoms and your true condition. Talk. I'll show you this in the Bible. Look at this, James chapter five, James chapter five, verse sixteen. It says, "Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed." Saying, "Listen, th- there, there's there's a healing that happens when you talk." We said this in the Try Me series. The mouth is the ventilation system of the heart. And a lot of us, your communication has clogged arteries because you're trying to act so hard. And so there's an area in your life and you're literally having heart attacks. There's stuff that's attacking your heart because there's nobody who could serve you. You're not venting. it's, It's almost like I'm allowing the enemy to keep on hitting me because I have an inflated heart. Something happened, you ain't talk about it. She left you, you never talked about it. That thing that happened in childhood, you got raped, but you never let anybody know about it. All of this stuff going on in your heart. You have all this pain, people laughing, but you're acting like it's cool. This pain is in your heart. So, you know what happens? No wonder, no wonder every time, every single time the enemy sends you a fiery dart. Your heart keeps exploding. You can't handle pressure. You can't handle a loose. Look how small this is. You can't handle a small fiery dart of temptation. You can't handle a small fiery dart of a lustful woman. You can't handle a small fiery dart of, the, of the, just the smell of marijuana. So every time the enemy sends a fiery dart, your whole life explodes. Because you're walking around with an inflated heart. You're walking around with an inflated heart. It's dangerous when a man is tired, and don't let me get started when a man is confused. Just like Saul, Saul is confused. How are you the, arm- How are you the leader of the army? Like, you're the king, bro. Bro, bro, you're the king. You're the king, and you're not excited that your army won the battle? You're you're not excited that you didn't just beat the Philistines. The Bible says you slaughtered them. And you can't celebrate. You're confused when you can't celebrate that your own army won because you're so caught up with David's number. Confused man. Just the word confused in itself preaches. Con is deception. Deception. And there's several layers of fuse. Fuse means to be joined together. So a lot of times the reason you keep living in confusion is because you're with somebody who's deceived and you're joined together with them, confused. Or we can go the second form of a fuse, like a wick, right? So I have deception joined with somebody who's explosive. (laughs) Deception joined with somebody who every single time I'm with them, their anger keeps exploding. The rage keeps exploding It's because they're confused. Or we can go to the last fuse. You do know a fuse like a circuit breaker? The job of a fuse is to stop fires. This is why every single time you're with the confused man, it stopped your fire of your purity. It stopped your fire in prayer. It stopped your fire in worship. It stopped your fire in fasting. Why? Because I'm with somebody who's confused. They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me, a thousand. And so you probably listen like, okay, um, what's the importance of talking about insecurity with men? Mrs. Men, Mr. Insecure. Ladies, I'm telling you, Mrs. Insecure, I might need Miss Flowers to help me with that one because that one's going to be hot. But right now we have to talk about the insecurity in men. Because you have to understand this insecurity in that leader, insecurity in that man is providing static with the way we father. It's providing static with the way we love, static with the way we communicate, static with the way we lead, static with our vision, static with our obedience. And I can't obey God. Because insecurity is that antagonistic co-pilot that keeps trying to cause me to land when God wants me to descend, ascend. So I'm struggling on the inside because I have all of these things on the inside of me. I have all of these insecurities. And before you log off and say, you know what, this ain't for me. First of all, I'm a woman and I'm not insecure. My confidence on fleek. If you don't know what fleek means, that means like good. My confidence on fleek. I'm good. Listen. Listen, anytime God sends one of his anointed oracles to deliver a word, please be attentive because I'm understanding the methodology of God is he always gives us the content before the test. See, a lot of people believe when they go through stuff, oh, God's testing me. Oh, that's what it is. God is testing me. Nope. When God sends you a test, it's because you already know what to do. I'm just trying to give you a message so that if you hit this season, you could have an open book test. Just come to part two of the World War Me series. <laughs> it may not be your issue, but what if, it's your, what if it's your unborn son's issue? It may not be your issue, but what if it's your nephew's issue? It may not be your issue, but what if it's your future husband's issue? And the reason I felt the need to talk about this insecurity, because you may not have it right now, but what you're going to do when God takes you to the next level? A lot of us are content right now. You feel as though, yeah, I'm good. See, you're good because you're around. You're surrounded by bottom feeders. But what about when God takes you higher because your gift will put you in the room with great men? And you're not really great if you're surrounded by great and you're no longer great. So, yeah, you may be killing it right now with your vocals. But what you're going to do when God allows you to be in the atmosphere when everybody's killing it with their vocals? Are you still secure? So I'm trying to give you this word because a lot of us don't even recognize that you don't know what's coming next. And see, if I never trust God enough to jump in the shallow end, surely I won't trust God enough to jump in the deep end. What if I told you that the reason a lot of us are insecure is because you never take risk? You never take risk. In the word insecure, I see the word cure. In the word insecure, I see the word cure. You're cured by each jump. You're imprisoned by each excuse. you're getting this. If God tells you to jump in the shallow end and you do it, the next time he tells you to jump in the deep end, you'll do it because you're cured by each jump. You're imprisoned by each excuse. Gosh, I hope y'all are getting this. See, trust grows when I jump in. Insecurity grows when I hesitate. Trust goes when I jump in, I take the risk, I have the faith, and I see that God keeps on coming through clutch. Trust grows when I jump in. Insecurity grows when I hesitate. When I hesitate now, it makes so much sense when I understand God wants us to have swift obedience because when you hesitate, you'll talk yourself out of it. Just like that one time I was on this high diving board. I was about to jump off this diving board in the pool. Some people, they would just go up, jump, jump. When it came to me, I was like, okay, hold up. Hold up real quick. It's kind of high. Does it have a little bounce? Woo, it's high. Hey, is, is the water cold? I don't know, man. i will probably going to get the... the more you hesitate, the higher your insecurity is. Hesitation then leads to procrastination, and procrastination is based on the belief that the opportunity will always remain. Whew. Procrastination is based on the assumption that the door will always remain open. You don't know if you have this opportunity later. So a lot of us have these insecurities, and God wants us to have swift obedience. No more hesitation. Swift. God wants to wash us from hesitation. I believe there are four ways that God washes us. Y'all ready? Four ways that God washes us. He washes us with conviction. He washes, washes us by tension. He washes, washes us by eviction. And he also washes us by affliction. Conviction. Tension, eviction, and affliction, okay? Conviction is God's way of saying, this is not like me. Tension is God's way of saying, this is not from me, okay? Eviction is God's way of saying, this or they are keeping you from me, and affliction is God's way of bringing you closer to me. Did y'all get that? The way God washes, conviction, tension, eviction, or affliction. Listen, conviction is not guilt, shame, or condemnation. Those come from hell. That doesn't come from God. If you're listening to a message and you're getting convicted, conviction is from God. Guilt, shame, all that, that comes from hell. Conviction comes from God, and that's God's way of saying, listen, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God, but the way you're behaving, the way that you're living, is not conducive with your profession. Okay? I love you. I've died on the cross for your sins, but I need you to level up. So I'm convicting you every time you eat that cookie. I'm convicting you every time you go over there. I'm convicting you every time you clap back in the comment section. Not out of legalism, but I want you to be more God-like. See, conviction brings forth change. Shame brings forth change, change, bondage. I want to show you this just so you can see this because sometimes people are like, man, this is just so convicting. David said it this way. Listen, thy rod and thy staff, they both comfort me. I broke that down so many times. The rod is Correction. And he said, that brings me comfort because there was a time I would do my own thing. You didn't even bother me. You didn't really say nothing to me. Have you ever went to the club and you felt nothing? I mean, you would just fornicate and feel nothing. You would just get high and feel nothing. Now when you want to do it, instantly there's this war. That's that conviction. So that, that rod, it gives me comfort because it lets me know I'm yours. It lets me know that you're mine and I'm yours. But let's look how Paul put this, okay? I want us to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, it says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though. I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to, what's that word, repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted this is so powerful listen but the sorrow of the world produces death for observing this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner what diligence it produced in you What clearing of yourself, what indignation, what fears, not talking about being terrified, but reverence of the Lord. Um, What desire, what zeal, and what vindication, and all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. So what is Paul saying? Like, listen, I know it hurts you, but it made you get right. That conviction that you felt, you could be feeling it during this message, is God saying, hey, hey, hey. I'm not trying to make you feel bad I'm just trying to let you know there's another level I want you to get to you're made for more and so Paul is saying listen I understand that the conviction bothered you but look what it produced in you conviction and when you don't understand this reality conviction feels like an attack they preaching at me let me send him a message uh I don't appreciate that you said because you feel convicted and you confuse that conviction as condemnation. But there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Conviction. Second one, tension. I talked about that a few weeks ago. But the easiest way I believe we could define tension is when we are about to run a spiritual red light. What do y'all do when y'all see the light's yellow? <laughs> when it's yellow, do you like, I'm going to floor it? Or do you like, no, I'm going to slow up? That, 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 that tension... That's when the Holy Spirit is giving you a yellow light. Hey, hold up, hold up. (laughs) Look, um, this, this. See, I don't understand this, but a lot of us keep complaining that it's hot, but you keep putting yourself in situations that are preheating the oven. You keep like, man, it's just, my, my flesh is just so hot. Why do you keep pre-heating the, ho- pre-heating, preheating the oven? You know what that was? You responded to the text. Hey, what you doing? Nothing, what you doing? That's preheating the oven. Don't respond. It's 1130. It's 1130. Don't respond to it. And a lot of us, we keep on crying out once we're in the oven. That tension is like, okay, I don't even want you to turn on the gas. I don't even want you to step in that atmosphere. And a lot of us were so caught up with the fire that we're overlooking the smoke. The smoke will kill you before the fire ever burns you. Tension is the Holy Spirit saying, hold on, slow down, hit the brakes. Man, Jay, you don't understand, but my sex drive, the Holy Spirit is the brakes. Okay, some of y'all missed that. All right, eviction. Eviction you got to understand that following Jesus always comes with the breakup. Always. When you accept Christ, when he lands in the terminal of your heart, there is something that has to depart. Every single time you accept Jesus, Jesus is not cool with you staying in contact with your ex. He's not. Cut all them off. Who you talking to, bro? Who you talking to? No, cut all them off. Why? I'm your king now. I'm your Lord now. And I don't want anything that will take you back to entertain your past. Eviction. And the Holy Spirit, when he steps in, you best believe he hands out eviction notices. Hmm. Last one, affliction. That's God's way of saying, you're going to learn from this. You're going to learn from this. And my prayer. My prayer is that God doesn't have to keep using trouble to teach us, because for some of us, that's the only way we learn. Through trouble. You got to experience something for you to pray. You got to experience discomfort for you to pray. And "Like, okay, why, why this message about insecurity for the men? It's because men are gatekeepers. Men are protectors. The posture of a man should be, nothing can come in this house unless it first comes through me. Even if I don't have nobody to protect, I have to be wired to be a protector. Nothing can touch my family without first coming through me. Nothing can touch my son without first coming through me because I'm a protector. And God has called for you to be bold. Be bold and very courageous. And you cannot be insecure and bold at the same time. I need you to be bold. Be bold. When that immoral woman talks to you, I need you to have boldness. I need you to be bold when you're offered to smoke that joint. I need you to have boldness. I need you to be bold when they invite you to happy hour. I need you to have boldness because no pride wants a roarless leader. Preach Holy Spirit. No pride wants a royalist leader, for even the gazelles will mock you because there is nothing that you can do. I need you to have a kingdom roar that will scare away the hyenas who keep coming after my cubs. I need you to have a roar, man of God, and you cannot do that insecure. You can't do that insecure. A lot of us, we can't obey God because we're so insecure. You can't write that book because your insecurity keeps talking you out of it. You can't start that YouTube channel because your insecurity keeps talking you out of it. You can't launch that ministry because your insecurity keeps talking you out of it. You can't tell your wife you're sorry because you're prideful and your insecurity keeps talking you out of it. You don't want to look weak, but in the kingdom, strength looks weak to culture. It looks weak to culture, but in the kingdom, that strength, you know how hard it is to be meek? That's true strength. Insecurity is the tranquilizer. For a kingdom man. So watching this thing on Animal Planet and this bear got loose in the park. They couldn't beat this bear up. I mean, this big grizzly bear, they couldn't touch this bear. And so what did they have to do? They had to use tranquilizer darts. I have to use something that will put him to sleep. Insecurity makes your roar go to sleep insecurity you're a beast in the spirit if you have the boldness of the lion of the tribe of judah on the inside of you but that insecurity is that tranquilizer dart to where you go to sleep and you're no threat to me because you're insecure so i'm I'm not just going to give you the problem but i'm going to tell you also how to solve it number one way we get insecure is comparison comparison. Listen, comparison is the spawning pool of insecurities. And a lot of us are so insecure because we view being out of dress code as a problem. We view being out of dress code as a problem. If you're truly a kingdom man, you should be out of dress code with culture. Comparison. Now watch it. I believe how do we combat comparison? We have to redefine success. Redefine success. Culture success is have many women, a lot of cars, a lot of money. For me, kingdom success is fulfilling my assignment. So I'm not really comparing myself with you because I'm so caught up on my assignment. You know what my competition is? Me yesterday. Y'all missed what I just said. That's my competition. Jerry has no competition. I'm in the lane of my own. My only competition is who Jerry was yesterday, who Jerry was Saturday that's who I'm competing with. I'm not competing with anybody else. And how we could be cured from the insecurity of comparison redefines success. What's your success? If that's tucking in your child at night, kissing them, and y'all read a Bible story, and you didn't do that last night, you are more successful today than you were yesterday. If your your view of success is just you praying with your wife, and you haven't prayed with your wife in two, three, four years, but you did it tonight, that is more successful today than you were yesterday. I need you to to compete with your yesterday not compete with that brother's doing and this brother's doing and that brother's doing that's why you're so insecure you keep looking to your left and to your right look within and look up comparison how do I get cured from it I redefine your success I think failure is succeeding the most in what matters the least I believe that's what failure is true failure Many times looks like success to culture. If I went up here, tons of follows, tons of shares, tons of people giving, but I lose at home, I failed. I have a read, I have a different definition of success. My success is me raising another son whose kingdom. My success is loving my wife like Christ loves the church. My success is having my daughter see the presentation of God first because fathers are the point of reference to God. And for her to see how loving I am, how gentle I am, how loving I am to her mother, that is my form of success. So I can care less about numbers. I can care less about subscriptions. I thank God for the width. I thank God that he's allowing us to reach others. But at the end of the day, my success is at home. My success is with my assignment. That's success. The reason you won't struggle with insecurity with comparison is when you try to figure out where can I be successful at in my life. Number two, the reason we're so insecure is because of of an affirmation deficiency. Affirmation deficiency. Sometimes people could help you with this. If you know somebody's doing a good job, tell them. That could be a challenge for you right now. After you finish watching this message, text your pastor, a sister, a brother. You know they're doing the best that they can. Like, hey, I just want to encourage you. I see you grinding. Or like my bro always says, I see your work, bro. Just somebody to encourage you. But if you don't have nobody to encourage you, I want to give you an assignment on tonight. I want you to make something called heart commandments. Heart commandments. The psalmist says, I command my soul. I command my spirit. I command myself to magnify the Lord. What does that mean? Sometimes I'm not going to feel like it. There are only two times to praise the Lord. When you feel like it and when you don't. And I want you to write your own 10 heart commandments. What is that? I command my heart to be grateful for each and everything I have every day. That's my heart commandment. I command my heart to always look for the good versus always trying to find the bad. I command my heart no No more negative speech. I'm going to now start speaking kingdom, heart commandments. Affirm yourself, encourage yourself. If nobody else is going to encourage you, you have to encourage you. Anybody who's ever seen me work out or work out with me, I'll be talking to myself. Have you noticed champions do that? They talk to themselves. I'm looking at Floyd Mayweather, like documentaries. I'm the fastest. I'm the prettiest. Can't nobody stop me talking to himself. Muhammad Ali, he's going to get in trouble now that he got in the ring with me. I done wrestle with an alligator, Toss it with a whale. He's confident in himself because he's speaking over himself. This is a principle that works for sinner or saint. Speak over yourself, encouraging yourself. Affirmation deficiency. Number three, so good. You know why we're so insecure? Poor preparation. Poor preparation. Of course you're insecure and you haven't studied. (laughs) Of course you're insecure and you're not being diligent. Of course you're nervous about taking that test when you didn't study at all. When I'm up here many times and I feel as though I did not study like I should, I'm like, Holy Spirit, take over. (laughs) Holy Spirit, have your way. But here I discovered, here's the benefit for me. If you live in the overflow, you'll never get nervous. Because I, I don't do this. Just because I got to preach. I was doing this when I didn't have to preach. So even if I didn't prepare notes and come before you all, I live in the overflow. When you live in the overflow, you have more confidence. Not in yourself, but in your God. This is why Jesus said when you stand before them and you don't know what you're going to say, fret not what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. Because I live in the overflow. But naturally, this is something I want you to take. Study yourself full. Pray yourself hot. Study yourself full. Pray yourself hot. This is why I don't really have to just stay stuck looking at my notes because I studied myself full and I pray myself hot. And a lot of us are very insecure. You don't study. You don't strive for excellence with anything. Half effort. Don't give 50. Don't give 60. Don't give 90. Give 120. Give your best. Maybe you're insecure because you're not practicing. You're not training. You're not striving to grow. And so you're so insecure because there is no forward activity in your life. Poor preparation. And last one. The reason we're so insecure, we don't see the big picture. We don't see the big picture. Saul was so insecure and so caught up. With the fact that they were ascribing to David ten thousands, that he missed the big picture. You won. You're the first king over Israel. And you won. You didn't just win, but the Bible says you slaughtered the Philistines. Insecurity will have you feeling like you're losing when you're winning. Beautiful wife, beautiful husband your health and strength and you just feel this depression on the inside of you because insecurity has you focusing on the wrong thing and whatever you magnify on will always be made bigger and the reason you don't feel as though God is blessing you you don't feel joy you don't feel contentment is because you're looking that David has ten thousands but you're not looking that you're the king over this nation And you just slaughtered the Philistines so I pray God help us to understand that you are the one that gives us security not a dog not a gun not an alarm system true security is found in you and let us oh God not be so caught up with what other people are saying how many views they got other subscriptions that they have how many likes they have and all of the mentions of their name, that we forget the most important thing, you know our name. Help us to be secure in you. Let us not compare ourselves amongst each other. Convict us, oh God, to pray, to prepare, to pray, to study, to show ourselves approved. And most importantly, God, help us to be individuals that see the big picture, set up. We don't miss the blessing because we're focused on our insecurity.